Bible, if you're here with us for the first time, you are here on the very last week of our series in Jonah, all right? So take your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah, and this is the last chapter. Here's our series, Swallowed by Mercy. We are going to finish this thing up today. It's been such a good series. I have been personally very blessed as I've studied this chapter and um, really this whole book. We've seen uh, when we started out all the way back in chapter one, which is the beginning of this month, we saw Jonah run in resistance from the presence of the Lord, all right? He heard something he didn't want to hear, and he ran away from God. And then we saw God pursue Jonah in mercy and save him from destruction, Then we saw Jonah, as he's in the belly of that fish, cry out in desperation to God. He thanked God for his salvation. And then last week, we left off in chapter 3, verse 10, with God saving the Ninevites. He saved the Ninevites. Jonah 3.10, this is what it says. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That's our God right there. Our God is gracious. He is steadfast in his love for us. He is slow to anger. He is ready and willing to relent of judgment. He wants to save you and me. He wants to bring salvation for his people and to have a relationship. And today, we get to finish this series. Chapter four, here we are. This is the swan song of Jonah, right? The Ninevites have been saved. This is the happily ever after chapter. This is the feel good vibes that we're gonna see where we, where we like just say goodbye as he walks off into the sunset, all right, as a hero. Are you ready for this? Here we go, Jonah chapter four. Let's look at verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah, wow, what's going on? Like, why are you so upset? Like, he's blowing it here, right? I mean, Jonah, they're going to put you in people ma- on the cover of People magazine. You're going to get a documentary drama made about your life. I mean, the Ninevites were horrible, the worth- worthless people. They were so scary and mean and horrible. You were the instrument of God to show them the way. And we already saw in chapter 3, it wasn't his oratory skills. It was God's mercy that saved them. But he's blowing it here. Come on, Jonah. You're supposed to be like Frodo Baggins, like sailing off into the West with a big smile on your face. And he's angry. He's absolutely mad about this. This is showing us a lot about the motives and the heart of Jonah. And we want to say, what on earth, Jonah? What are you doing? What is your problem? Why are you displeased? You can also see at the same time why... Sunday school teachers a lot of times just skip this chapter altogether. Have you ever noticed that with, with kids' church? You know, you know, it's like, all right, it's Jonah week, kids. All right. Yay, Nineveh repents. What a happy ending. And, oh, we ran out of time. We're not going to be able to cover chapter four. 
uh, yeah, I, I, I don't blame you for not wanting to open that can of worms. Uh, we're going to actually see here, this story is about to even get more weird. There is a worm, a God-appointed worm that's going to come into the story. So pun intended, I don't blame you for not wanting to open that can of worms. But yes, clearly this is cringeworthy on Jonah's part. Jonah knows the truth about God. He knows who God is, and he's saying, hey, God, I knew you would save them. I knew this is the way you are, and that's why I didn't even want to go. Yikes. Is Jonah just like a complete racist here? Well, I mean, that's true. That's part of it. But that's not the only problem because that problem goes way deeper. It's a heart issue, and God with Jonah is actually going to go all the way to the heart problem that Jonah has, why he's so angry. So in, in the first three verses that we just read, we just saw basically the, probably one of the worst prayers in the Bible, right? I mean, wouldn't you agree? Um, there's actually eight movements in this chapter four. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take all eight movements and we're going to basically compress them and kind of organize them into three cohesive thoughts, our three main points, because all three movements will show you what is going on with Jonah, how his self-centeredness contrasts with the mercy of God. So yes, the first movement, if you want to throw that one up there, uh, and we're going to just, during this, as this message goes along, I'm going to show you those. The first movement is that he is ticked that God saved the people who he hated. That's a pretty rough sentence to say out loud, but that's what we have here. And yes, what is Jonah's issue? Is it racism? Well, that is part of it, but it's going much deeper because, yeah, the Ninevites, they were like ISIS. They were terrible people. Um, and it makes sense that he would have been afraid of them. But there's a reason Jonah doesn't love his enemies. And that's what this message is about. And it's not just about Jonah. This is about you and me. It's about examining our own hearts. Because I don't know if you realize this or not. We can be like, well, Jonah, what's your problem? Why can't you just love these people seriously? And we can also at the same time think, well, hey, I'm advanced. I don't have this like archaic, antiquated society racism that was systemic back in that day. Like, I love everybody. But do you realize that there are people who look at Christians the same way we're looking at Jonah? They look at Christians and they're like, why can't they just love everybody? What's their problem? Why are they so riled up? Why are they so upset? I've heard this in coffee shops. I've heard it in a factory that I used to work in. It's the roll of the eyes. Those religious people, why can't they just get along, chill out, and love everybody? That's what the world thinks. And yes, you're probably like, David, listen, like, I'm not, I'm not like Jonah. I, I love everybody. I don't hate those people. I'm not one of those religious hypocrites that other, other churches are like that. All right, all right, I know, I know. I mean, I, don't, I love everybody, but yeah, sure, there's people at work that I can't stand being around, and of course, I make fun of them on social media secretly, and I just want them to fail at life, but I love everybody still, right? That's, that's, the, way, that's the way we roll half the time. What Jonah is suffering from is a disease that every single one of us have to deal with. Religious people like Jonah deal with this disease. People who are far away from God deal with this disease. And it's the disease of self-centeredness. And God is going to show Jonah that that is the root of his problem. 
Jonah's clearly lacking compassion. It's eye-opening. It's way off. But remember, we talked about this at the very beginning of this series. When the Jews to this day read the story of Jonah on the Day of Atonement, they say in unison, I am Jonah. Okay, Jonah's dealing with some fears, some inner demons, the same kind of things, like prejudice against people who are unlike him, the same types of things that everyone in this room deals with to a certain extent. So today we're going to be talking about an unhealthy focus of self, because that's the root of Jonah's issue, and God's going to show him that. And I know an unhealthy focus of self isn't a very popular sermon topic, No one really wants to hear that, but when we build our identity on something greater than our calling that God has given us, the root of that is the idol of me. And when we desire to to desire a gift, and we desire that greater than the giver of that gift, the root of that is the idol of me. When we seek refuge or pleasure in something that can't fulfill us, is what we are doing is we are putting self over God. And that's a big problem that we all deal with. So today, as we break down these eight textual movements in this narrative, we're going to funnel them into three practical points, three practical ways that you can actually transform self-centeredness into compassion. Because that's what Jonah was missing, and that's what we all need to have. So here's the first way, the first point today. Realize the mercy of God upon your life. You have to start there. So let's look at God's response. Uh, This is going to be verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God just asks the question. And this is the second movement, God's response. Do you do well to be angry? I love that God just leaves that question hanging there. We can actually learn a lot from this. This isn't the main thrust of the text, but this is a practical, applicational point that you, you, the side note that's just there. If you're dealing with somebody and they're way off, sometimes it's helpful just to ask a question, right? I mean, I do this with my kids sometimes, like Beckham and Paxton are upset because they can't drink Sprite at supper. I'm like, no, do you ever get your way by throwing a fit? Ever? Like, and see, my thing is I don't want to just stop there and leave that question hanging like, like God did. Instead, I'm like, and let me tell you something else, Beckham. You don't deserve this. It's bad for you. Like, that's, that's my bad. But, but here's the thing. When you are dealing with someone, it's a great way to, to confront that problem by asking a question, letting it sit there. That's what God does with Jonah right here. So Jonah is showing that he's more concerned with the sin of other people, then he's concerned about his own sin. And I gave you a Paul David Tripp quote last week. I've been reading this book this year, New Morning Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. It's a great devotional book. It's a surprise, surprise, a book about the mercy of God. Uh, But he has this quote uh, from the the same idea. If we could throw that up there, that would be great. You know what you are you know that you are in deep spiritual trouble when the sin of other people bothers you more than your own. And this is where we find Jonah right now. This is another result of self-centeredness. You actually focus on other people's sin and you ignore your own sin. So the way Jonah is reacting is showing that he's completely forgetting the grace of God that has been lavished on him. 
Jonah brought up the mercy and the steadfast love and the, and the slow to anger, all of those character traits of God. He just brought that up in verse 2 in his prayer. And actually, we saw the same thing in chapter 2, remember? In chapter 2 in that prayer when he was in the belly of the fish, he like said all these great things about God. And he thanked God for his salvation. But it wasn't what he said that was the problem. It's what he didn't say. And what he didn't say there is the same thing that he's missing right now. He's not putting himself in the same place as these other people who receive mercy. He's putting himself in a different category. Well, yeah, God, they're horrible. They're sinners. They need to be forgiven. But he's not looking at himself as a sinner who needs to be forgiven. If you see yourself as worthy, you're going to basically take the approach that God owes you. And yeah, of course he saved me. I'm a talented person. He wants to use me because I can offer a lot for him. No, that's not, that's not right. You aren't realizing the mercy that God has poured out to you in your salvation. And if that's the case, grace towards others is actually going to be a confusing thing. We're going to struggle with this. When God says to be generous, we're going to be like, well, why? I earned this and they don't deserve it. So I want to hold on to it. That's the approach when we don't get that we have been saved by the mercy of God. When we are talking like Jonah's talking and when we're thinking that way, in that moment, we're not realizing the mercy of God in our life. But when you see yourself as a recipient of grace and you see that, whoa, God gave me something I never deserved, God's compassion becomes a character trait that you love. And it becomes something that actually starts changing who you are. And you look at people with compassion. You look at people differently because God's changed you because that's who he is. So if you're wondering why that other person got the promotion at work, why, why did this person get a boyfriend and I didn't? Why, why do they have kids and I'm strong? I mean, there's a lot of really tough things that we deal with, that we process, that we have to work through, and I get that. These are, these are very real trials that a lot of us go through, but we have to understand God saved you because he loves you, and he poured out mercy on you, and that alone is more than you ever deserved. So as we work through those hard things, we have to say, you know what? I'm going to delight that he showed mercy in me, and I love the fact that God is gracious, so I'm going to delight that he shows mercy in other people too. That's the way we get past that. This is how a husband and a wife can live together in harmony. Because it's not easy to live selflessly, to let love cover a multitude of sins when you have two sinners under the same roof. I mean, this is the first illustration that popped in my mind about this. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? How do you do that successfully? Well, you have to realize the fact that they're not the only person at fault, Right? I do things that are wrong too. And to have a harmonious marriage, just like any relationship in life, it takes, hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I forgive you. It takes both people realizing that I make mistakes. You made a mistake, you know what? I made a mistake too. We have to realize that when we get that, that God has showed mercy on us, we're more willing to realize that and acknowledge our own failures. Jonah, forget, quickly he forgot about the great fish that swallowed him up and saved him. And we can far too quickly forget about where we would be if it wasn't for the mercy of God in our lives. We have the same issue. 
We are all sinners, and Jesus died for your sin. He died for my sin. And when we realize what he did for us, that's the first way that we turn self-centeredness into compassion for other people. Here's the second way. Expect God to teach you a lesson, all right? We've already seen that in the life of Jonah, but this is very real in chapter four. And look at verse five with me. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. There he sat under the shade till he should see what would happen to the city. So Jonah is like in this terrible mental space where he just still wants to see Nineveh destroyed. So um, he's just, he's not, he doesn't know what to say, what to do. He doesn't really respond to God. He just goes out and makes a hut. And that's the third movement. Jonah doesn't answer. He walks away and makes a hut to see what will happen next. That's movement three. And now, as he storms off, he is, he is basically living a contradiction right now. He's, he's not living out the steadfast love of God. He doesn't really know what he's doing. But let's read the next couple verses because God is about to reveal an incredible object lesson right here. And this is what he does. Expect God to teach a lesson. He's going to reveal something to Jonah. So let's look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked God that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So movement four, here we go. Just to recap this, I know this is a little wild, a little weird. I get it. I, I know when you first read this, what is, what is happening? This is getting worse and worse. Uh, God appoints a plant to give him shade. God appoints a worm to kill the plants. And then God appoints a scorching wind to make life more unbearable for Jonah. This is the object lesson that God is trying to teach him. It's getting really interesting, and this actually gets personal when you think about what it is. God is sending the vine to show Jonah how much he cares about his own comfort. That's what's, that's what's happening right now. This vine makes, you know, a little shade, makes it more comfortable, and then God takes it away, just like that, the next day, overnight, it's gone, to teach him how self-centered he's living his life. Movement five is Jonah is ticked that God took away the plant and he asks God to take his life again. Wow, Jonah, you're getting this riled up over a plant? A comfort item? That's what's making you ready just to give up and to die? It seems ridiculous, it seems silly, but this is what happens when you live a self-centered life and you get the things that make you happy removed. You're very upset and you're very angry and you're not processing things. God processing things correctly. Movement six is God's response. And again, God asks him, do you do well to be angry about the plant? Good question, because it's revealing how ridiculous this is. I hope you're seeing what God is doing. He, he does the same thing with us. He puts things into our life, and sometimes he takes things away from us to teach us a lesson. 
to make us face a valuable, valuable life lesson that, wow, there's some things in life that I can actually do without that I don't necessarily need. He's displeased. And his displeasure, this, this displaced passion, leads to disappointment. And if you don't manage your disappointment, it will lead to anger. And when we aren't thinking correctly, we, like Jonah, can get angry over silly things. Sports games, the temperature of the room, right? A missing parking spot. Have we ever been there? It happens when we're not really focused on reality and we're living a self-centered life. It's sad, but when life revolves around us, we do develop a disconnect with reality. I was thinking about this, and uh, one of the things that I love about our church is that we have people in our church that are older that invest in younger people. And that's actually really rare. Uh, we have people who are middle-aged that invest in even younger, you know, younger people than them. Like, we have that going on, but I've noticed in my life, I've been in a lot of churches in my life, that actually doesn't usually happen. It's not, of course, there's room for us to improve in this area. There's always room to improve. But Julie and I have had a lot of conversations with people. Maybe we go out to dinner with an older couple, and we're excited, like, all right, we're going to learn some things. It's going to be good. And we get to this meal, and it's a shallow conversation, and it's all they do is talk about their own problems. It's super disappointing. It's like, wow, how, where did, what's going on? Like, that was such a, such a waste of time. And I mean, I'm trying to like, at the same time, process it. Is there something good that I can learn from it? But we have been in a lot of situations where older people just are talking about themselves and their own health problems or whatever it is, and they're not really taking an interest in teaching you something, and they're just talking about themselves. That's a horrible thing. I know you're like, David, that's a depressing thought. Can you please stop talking about self-centered older people? This is just making me depressed. Like, I know, but here's the thing. The point I'm trying to get at is, if you live a self-centered life, it doesn't age well. You see that? And that's what happens in our world all the time. You lose relevancy when you're just focused on yourself. When you don't have compassion for other people, you can't invest in other people. You're not making an impact in other people's life. And you know what? As you get older, you don't realize what all the other stuff, all these other things going on. You, you lose connection with people. Disconnect from reality. That's a really bad place to be. If you put yourself at the center of your life, you will drift from relevancy. That goes for older people just like it goes for younger people. So, it doesn't happen overnight, but we don't want to drift into this cocoon where we lose compassion for others because we don't care about others because we're just worried about our own, our own needs. This is what we need to do. To combat that, expect God to teach you a lesson, and then listen. Listen. Be ready to learn. Say, yes, God, I want you to teach me something from this. So let's continue reading into verse 9 because this is the seventh movement. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Here he is again. Movement 8, God points out Jonah's infant, selfish ungratefulness, and he contrasts it with his mercy. So this is what God's going to say. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said, 
You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is what God is saying. Look, Jonah, you're so riled up about this plant that you, that you had one day and it was gone the next day, this comfort item. Why shouldn't I pity these people that I created? These people that I know, that I want a relationship with. Isn't that, isn't that a pretty stark contrast? Jonah's self-centeredness with God's compassion and God's mercy. And this is how it ends. I mean, this is the end of the whole book. I mean, this is, can we acknowledge for a second that God just ended the book with the word cattle? That's a little crazy. Like, I know we're all like, did that come out of left field? What's, what's with that? Well, there is a reason there. We're going to back up and we're going to see that. We're going to see what God is possibly saying uh, with, with that. But this is the thing. God created the Ninevites. And a lot of, a lot of people used to say, oh, yeah, right hand from their left hand. Well, that's, uh, that's like probably referring to children because kid, little kids don't know the right hand from their left hand. So a lot of people thought that. But actually, in the last few decades, there's been more research uncovered about the city of Nineveh. And the city of Nineveh was probably about the size of 120,000 people. So if you think about it in that sense, and okay, well, what does the Bible mean by this then? It's really saying these people are lost in sin and they don't know any better. Think about it. They were born with evil, wicked parents who were ruthless and hateful, and they grew up to be the same type of people. So these people don't know their right hand from their left hand. Spiritually speaking, they don't know anything but hatred. They don't know anything but violence. That's who they are. They're sinners acting like sinners, right? Which is the way sinners still are today. They don't know any better unless they know God, and he changes them. So God is saying, look, Jonah, I love these people. And if you don't love these people, can you at least care about the cows? You know? I mean, he's hitting him with a really heavy, really heavy, like, question. And it's just a common, another practical thing when, you, when you're, like, laying down the law with someone and you're telling them something that's very heavy and they don't want to hear. What's a nice practical way to lighten the blow? Maybe add a little levity, right? Like, at least you're showing them, hey, I still care for you. I haven't written you off yet. So God's like, I know I, I, you don't want me to, kill all the cows and so you can't have any steak, right? Like, let's, let's just think about the cow. If you don't like the people, at least think of the dirty animals. So let's treat the people better than the dirty animals, okay? Can we do that? That's the, that's the joke. I think that's the gist of what God is, is doing here as we translate this into our, our language. And I love that God is pulling out every stop, including sarcastic humor, to let Jonah know, wake up. You don't have to act this way. You don't need to think this way. These are people who don't know any better. They're lost people. And Jonah, I want to save them. That's who God is. He's full of steadfast love. He's slow to anger. He is merciful. He is ready to relent of disaster. He wants to save people. That's our God. And he chooses Jonah to play a part in that. The sad thing is sometimes we look at the cattle, you know, possessions, hobbies, 
good food, whatever it is. We look at those things with more passion than we look at the lost people. Do we not? I think we're all guilty of that from time to time. But what are we supposed to do with this ending, all right? Because this is an abrupt ending. It's a very abrupt ending. And I mean, I know some of us love happy endings. Who likes a movie that has a nice, happy, happy ending? You know, good old sappy ending. You got Rocky yelling, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's so sappy, but it's happy, and we like that. And then other times you have sad endings. And if it's a real story that has a genuine message, I think there's a place for sad endings too. I don't mind that. I'm pro-sad movie ending. Um, I can't always handle that, but that's great. Now, abrupt endings... Okay, abrupt endings, that's like the highest art form, right? Because what does it make you do? It makes you sit there and process it and analyze it. You have to think about it. You need to start talking about it. What just happened here? Why does God end it with this question and we don't even know what Jonah's response is? I mean, some of us are having like compassion on Jonah right now. Is this guy ever going to get it? Is he ever going to get it? Please, Jonah, you're disappointing me. Well, Here's the third way that you can transform from self-centeredness to compassion. It's ask yourself probing questions. Same thing that we are forced to do with this story. We are forced to ask ourselves probing questions. You know, the book was written with the explicit purpose of forcing you to meditate and think about what Jonah's response would be. And we also need to put ourselves in his shoes and think through what we are reading, how you would respond. You could say it forces you to open up the can of worms, to think about your motives and what drives you, stuff that we don't always want to think about, right? It's easier just to watch Netflix and chill than to think about what are my true passions and what are my true motives in life. It's easy to point a finger at Jonah without actually analyzing it on our own. But let's open up that can of worms, right? What do you spend your money on? That reveals what you care about. What do you spend your time on? You know, I'm like, I'm just trying to survive, David. I know, I get that, I'm with you. But you can find a way to spend time doing what you care about. You always find a way, right? So do you find time to do things that matter for eternity? It's a question, a probing question you need to ask yourself. What do you talk about? Another very important question that you should be analyzing. Do you ever find it worth talking about the steadfast love of God with people who are hurting? Do you ever talk about the steadfast love of God to those who need to hear it? God says, I created these people, so why shouldn't I have mercy on them? And the book ends. So we are left to assume that Jonah didn't have an immediate answer, right? I mean, so far we've seen all, everything coming out of Jonah's mouth has been really bad. It's been like, yeah, God, I'm angry. Yeah, I just want to die. It's, it's, it's like, whoa, back off. The fact that he finally slowed down and he didn't just rifle off another comment right back is actually a really good sign, at least to me. Do you see that? Are you with me on that? Like, I'm glad he's slowing down. Maybe he's starting to think about this. And okay, maybe his self-centeredness is, is starting to shift into some compassion. And the story 
you have to stop and say, what is this story about? Well, the story is about the great mercy of God. That's been the theme throughout the whole story. And the challenge is for God's people to live with that same mercy. We are to have that same compassion, to transform our self-centeredness into compassion for those who don't know Jesus. That's what's in it for us. But as we ask that question, do I care more about perishing people than I do about my own temporary stuff? What do I get upset about? Another probing question you have to ask. Okay, all right, we're asking all those questions, but I know you're still thinking, did Jonah ever get it? Did Jonah ever fully, fully come to this and understand this? Well, this is the thing, as you, as you process this. The Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other, so I'm going off of my own thinking right now, right? And I, I, and I think the Bible challenges us all to do the same thing. I don't have a black and white verse in the Bible that proves this, but I would say the person who wrote this book, who do you think it was? It was probably Jonah. Bible scholars have agreed all the way from the very, very beginning. If you go all the way back, Jonah is the one who would have had the details, only Jonah, to like write all this out, right? So think with me on this. If Jonah's the one who wrote the book, which most likely he was the one who wrote the book, this literary masterpiece, and he leaves the book hanging with that question, what's he trying to do? Well, he's showing you and highlighting the mercy of God, yes. He's actually painting himself in a pretty bad light. And he's elevating God, not himself, which is the opposite of self-centeredness, is it not? So I would say Jonah finally gets it. At some point along the way, those questions that God left, left him with resonated with him. I mean, when you read a biography of someone's life, let's say it's like you read a biography of some Christian in the 1800s, right? Have you ever read one of those books? And you're just like, oh my word, this is the most spiritual person ever. I mean, you, you see this, this story written about someone's life, and it's almost like, I'm joking, but it's like they, they were the reincarnated version of Jesus Christ in the Civil War because they were so perfect. That's the way biographies sometimes are written. But if you read an autobiography and the person walks with Jesus and they're humble, they reveal what they're struggling with. They reveal their own downfalls and their, and their failures. This is the autobiography version of Jonah, right? This is a guy who finally got it, and he says, yes, I need to have compassion. And the way he wrote this story reveals that he's elevating God, and God is the hero. And he now actually has mercy and compassion, even though in the story itself we don't see that from him. I think he got it. And I love that. I love that about this story. So... There's one other wordplay in this story, and I've, I've talked on and off throughout the last four weeks about um, the Hebrew emphasis of certain words, and that's that wordplay is a lot of times how they had humor. It's, it's the way they would emphasize things, and there's a lot like I've left out as we've gone through this series, but there's one other wordplay that's throughout this whole book that actually is coming up again, and it's the word great. I want to show you this really quick if you haven't already noticed it. Uh, exceedingly and great, it's the same word in the Hebrew. And I mean, look at chapter one. It was all over the place, right? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The men were exceedingly afraid because of this, the great tempest. I mean, 
everywhere you turn, and this is, that's just chapter one, it goes all the way through chapter four. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. Great is this word that's constantly emphasized. It's a big emphasis in this, in this story. And the emphasis is to show, what is Jonah showing as he writes this? It's the greatness of God's mission. The mission is great, okay? Nineveh's wickedness was great. Well, God's mercy is greater. Jonah hated Nineveh. Well, God's grace was greater. Our mission is great. And Jesus Christ is the greatest. You know, I showed you that verse last week, Matthew 12, 41. We talked about that last week as, as uh, Jesus was referencing the story of Jonah with the Pharisees. And this is what Jesus said there. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Do you know what Jesus is saying right here? The Pharisees would not have missed this. The Pharisees knew the Hebrew inside and out. They would have, know, they would have memorized the story of Jonah. They know that the word great and exceedingly is a very emphasized word throughout the whole story. And Jesus says, someone who is greater than Jonah is here. And he's talking about himself. Jesus is in this story in every chapter in this story. Jesus Christ is the mission that we have. Jesus is the greatest. He is the one who we are to tell other people about. And we are given the mission, right, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Worship team, you can come up right now. So Jonah, as he wrote this book, he says, ask yourself, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Are you motivated? And a lot of times when we see the mission that God gives us, it's really easy for us to take the comforts of Christianity without, without the missional aspect, without the sacrifice. I mean, we love the verses like, cast your cares upon him, come unto me and I will give you rest. I mean, yes, Lord, give me some of that. I love that. But when you see the verses like, take up your cross and follow me, whoa, that's a little different. Uh, I don't know about that one. Taking up your cross and following Jesus means you pour out your life to let other people know the steadfast love of God. You, you take risks you open up your mouth. You, you sacrifice for people who don't even care and don't deserve it because you realize God's done that for you. That's what we're called to do. It's not a suggestion for a few. It's an instruction for all of us. And it's inconsistent when we appropriate the comforts of Christianity and we put off the commands. You're either an active participant in going and sending and loving people or you're just disobediently sitting on the sidelines. There's really no middle ground. And if you don't get this, it's possible that you don't understand the gospel. Jesus came into this world. He took your sin upon himself and he died for you. 
He bore our sins on the cross, shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sin. And the way that we have a relationship with God, the way we have forgiveness from our sin, the way we have a new life is we repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus Christ by faith. And his grace and mercy is lavished upon you and it changes the way you think. We can't live this inconsistent, double-minded life that just doesn't care about people. You have to ask yourself the question, if I don't care about people, what am I doing? Stop being like Jonah in chapter four and start being like the rest of Jonah's life when he wrote this book and said, you know what? God's mercy is great. I gotta share that with other people. God in his mercy withheld something from you that you deserved, a judgment. God in his grace gives you something you never deserved, a relationship with God, eternal life. We have received grace, new hope that we never deserved. So let's pray that we can share that with other people. Let's get motivated about that. Let's remove this self-centered life that's about what feels good, what do I need right now. Hey, you were saved by the mercy of God. You are the instrument, you are the mouthpiece to share the steadfast love of God, the hope that will change their life. So let's wake up and let's put a smile on our face and realize God saved me. I'm gonna tell you how God can save you too. Would you stand up? I'm gonna pray about this for a minute and then we're gonna sing to Christ about this. Lord, we are so, so grateful that you loved us when we didn't love you. You pursued us just like you pursued Jonah. That's who you are. You run after us when we run away. We've seen that in the story. We've seen it in our very own lives. And Lord, you're always pursuing sinners. It's crazy that you choose to use us. Thank you for that. You, you use people like Jonah. You use people in this room. We don't deserve that, but we're willing to participate and we know that you will fulfill fill us and strengthen us and equip us to do that. Lord, may we love others more than we love our own comforts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into 